Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by What's the Big Idea? An indispensable guide to becoming a kick-ass creative director. By yours truly, Jaime Cabrera. Pick it up on Amazon and now available on Audible. If you've always wanted to know what it takes to be a commercial director, you need to check out commercialdirectingfilmschool.com. I'm signed up for the Filmmaker Bundle, which includes the Masterclass, the Online Shadow, and the Case Study Masterclass. It's got 100% five-star reviews, and it also includes a 30-minute call with the master himself, my friend Jordan Brady, who's directed more than 1,300 commercials for top brands. And right now, exclusively for my listeners, use the code BIGIDEA, one word, to get a whopping $100 off either the Masterclass or the Shadow Course. Again, the code BIGIDEA, one word, for $100 off. Go to commercialdirectingfilmschool.com and get started today. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, for aspiring creative directors, for creatives of all types looking to up their game. This is your podcast, and I am your host, Jaime Cabrera. On this episode, we have my new buddy and musical brother, Donnie Dykowski. Donnie is an accomplished musician, composer, songwriter, and founder of The Ski Team, a premier production, custom music, and sonic branding studio out of Jersey City, New Jersey. His work has garnered Leos, Pencils, Cleos, Webbies, Sundance premieres, and is on permanent display at the MoMA. And he's here to share some hot tips that creative directors can use when working with a composer or custom music producer. So, without further ado, let's get into it with Donnie Dykowski. Donnie Dykowski, welcome to Confessions of a Creative Director. How are you, buddy? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Jaime. I'm, I'm excited, a little nervous, nah. but uh, I'm thrilled. What do you got to be nervous about? You're sitting in a you're sitting in a kick-ass studio. I can see right now. You've got guitars everywhere and and little little candy boxes. All your all your guitar pedals and stuff. And I see a tweed amp back there. What do you got to be nervous about? It looks like you're living you're living the high life over there. I know. I want to. So, you know, I want to. I want to. I want to come to there. <laughs> like uh, likewise, I see ukuleles hanging there, strats of some sort. I think that might be a dobro on the on the lower left, but uh, yeah, 
Yeah, no, things are good. I'm I'm thrilled that I get to make noise for a living and uh yeah, and this is super cool. Um yeah, like I said before, I'm uh I have your book right here, which is funny. Yeah. Um let me put that in the view. It's a I great it. resource. I love it. Great resource this book. Um I love it. It's been a nice summer read and something to kind of <laughs> fall back on. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And we're, you know, we're, we're going to get into this and uh, into your whole kind of, uh, I want you to give us sort of an overview of, of your career and where you've been. And then you're going to get into a really great topic, um, you know, about, about, I don't know, maybe about six months ago, eight months ago, I kind of made a concerted effort to shift the focus of the podcast to be a, uh, try to really teach the audience tangible things. And this is going to be a great episode because we're going to talk about music, right? Music for TV spots or mu music for a content piece or really music mm -hmm. for anything. How to select it, you know, how to decide whether you're creating something custom or going with something stock, how to, you know, determine what you want to, all kinds of stuff. So this is going to be a great episode. But before we get into all of that, I want to know, how did I miss this career path? Because I'm looking at your career here uh, on LinkedIn I could have been I could have been doing this the, this whole time. I could have been writing songs and 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 you know and and music pieces for for TV and film and stuff. Man, how did I how did I how did I screw that up and end up in advertising? You know, it was um it was a bit of a joke I had with my grandmother when I was in college. I went to a music school. I went to Purchase for studio composition, which wow. uh, at the time was a lot of studying jazz and music theory and pro tools had just really like changed the game for making it accessible for composers but we were yeah. still writing on paper and trying to like wow. practically apply things in in different like workshops and studios and and uh it was great like the whole third floor of of the campus uh of our building was just rehearsal rooms and it was a really cool community um Interestingly enough, at the same time, I was in a touring band. I've been touring and gigging since I was like 15. So um, it was like the only excuse other than being really sick to miss class, which was great. Yeah. And then unfortunately, I got really sick. I'm, I'm a cancer survivor. All of this wow. stuff, I think, adds into the, um, I guess, into the method of, of how I work today. But, yeah. you know, when I was about 20 years old, I... Um, I just got really sick. I couldn't breathe. I had uh, was being misdiagnosed for a year, and and uh, turns out I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, which was totally mistreated Gosh. in the most archaic, you know, way through chemotherapies and whatnot. And eventually, I needed to have a stem cell transplant. So, like every step of my formative years and at that at that time, like my career was getting hiccuped. So, like I had to give up like certain aspects of music and and. Uh, but when I came out the other side, I, I went into music publishing. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, unfortunately, I, I still had to kind of um, tread carefully because I wasn't out of the, the woods yet. But I was basically right. running from a fire. I, I started gigging from um, uh, every open mic I could possibly find uh, yeah. from New York to Philly, Boston, just in a circuit. And then I put a band together, and that band eventually. Um, started playing theaters and we did the Warp Tour in 05. Yeah, I saw that. And it was, it was very cool. And that opened the door for me to start working with a production music company in New York called yeah. Pulse. Okay. So um, 
when I finally got there, um, I was brought on because they wanted to make my next album. They wanted me to make records and they wanted me to write for artists. And artists would come through there and I would collaborate with like hip hop artists like Naughty by Nature. And uh, that's rad. There were like some. Uh, like Lindsay Lohan would come through there and we would have to like write for her and uh, you know that kind of tier of of artists yeah. but it was it was definitely like pushing me in different directions and at the sure. same time they were like hey could you write on a commercial and I'm like uh, okay sure you know this was going back to what my grandmother and I would joke about like back in the day when I was touring it was like oh yeah maybe one day I'll, I'll just write for commercials I didn't know how that was going to happen but yeah uh, here I am in a commercial music studio where they're trying to break into records and I'm writing on commercials. So the first thing I did um, actually stuck the landing and it was for a Kool-Aid spot. And, and although I wasn't taking the lion's share of any composer fee at the time because I had a creative partner and I was paying my dues, I, I still made more money in that one instance and i flexed all the same creative muscles that i had you know been honing my entire life um rather than I, so i just it was a better return on my investment of time than working in bars for two months to make that same amount of money <laughs> yeah so yeah that just kind of um set me on a path where uh before I knew it, I was a freelance writer writing for about 30 different music companies. Um, so agencies started seeing my name on contracts and then agencies started reaching out to me directly. So that was a very new thing for me to experience in, in like, you know, 2010. Like I'd never, um, I didn't expect that, but it was almost like, you know, things were happening word of mouth and, and uh, I had some some really capable stewards on the agency side that were really like helping to guide me to get the right pieces in place to be a um, a vendor. And that's kind of how my you know I've I carved out a niche in this space as a you know supplier of of music and sound for for brands. That's awesome. And and you know first of all, thank God you came through that that cancer. I assume you're you're all free and clear and and uh, you probably still have to monitor it, but I assume you're you're in remission or I don't even know what the right terminology would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank God I'm 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 out of that fire, but it was, um, you know, like it at the time it gave you a sense of purpose where you could, you know, you're running from that fire. You're I had to live in a hospital for basically a year yeah. uh, at one point. And, you know, coming out of that and having the experience of music publishing and and just thinking like, hey, I could survive this. I could survive, yeah. you know, these shitty gigs or I could survive, you know, um, you know, anything, you know, it, it, anything the, really. The, yeah. The pressure. I mean, I think your baseline of of um, of happiness and and uh, and and just it it, it kind of levels out at a certain point. I guess with perspective and time, like yeah. things kind of even out. But I had a very deep perspective at a young age that, um, I mean, I wouldn't wish on on anybody. But yeah, uh, it gave me, you know, a, a certain drive that that um, I think helped me 
in this business because this yeah. business can be a little be tough. Yeah. I, the first, I like, com- the first like commercial demos I was writing and I was like working with, with MIDI, which at the, at the time wasn't nearly as capable as it is now at like, you know, software synth and whatnot. And I remember like producers coming in saying, Oh, this is the worst shit I've ever heard. And I'm like, Oh, it's so crushing to my ego. But I was, I <laughs> you're was, like, I've been through worse, man. You can't yeah. hurt me. But it was it's 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 always a journey, and I think and I've never stopped making records, and I feel like that's yeah. kind of helped with uh, with my production style because, um, you know, there's something very I think, I mean, I, I don't want to get like esoteric in here because, um, but there's because it is at, at the end of the day we're talking about helping brands tell stories, so it's not like yeah. the most serious thing, but the way that I approach it, there's a certain like stoicism in in the method where yeah. i i i want things to be um to sound a certain way i want things to feel like records i want things to to have attention to detail and i don't want to be so right. cavalier about the process especially when you're being trusted with something that is so intimate like um when you're trying to reach a target audience and these things yeah. are are heard by you know if if they make it to market you know millions of people will will hear what you're working on and, and you know what's crazy is is you know in recent years I mean some of these songs are becoming real uh, you know real phenomenons like you you think about you think about like the Burger King uh, jingle that they just did mm-hmm. right where people are like doing their own versions of it or or yeah. you know what was that like ten years ago with the you know the subway you know five dollar five dollar foot long I mean <laughs> completely it's such a weird progression and melody mm-hmm. and stuff and like it just it, they become cultural you know phenomenons and, and so it's yeah. like when you think about it sure probably the baseline is to create a a, a a great sounding track that that tells a story but thinking thinking even past that going like how do i make this like some cultural little touchstone you know yeah so it's well, it's uh yeah i i think that a lot of that um the five dollar foot long thing it, to me is kind of an anomaly. I I, I remember it. It was very minor. Um, yeah, I think so weird. It was they might be giants that that did that version. Um, so there's a certain equity that comes with. Okay, let's get these artists to work with our brand because they can resonate with our target audience. And with that, um, maybe that taps into like a new, like you were saying, a cultural you know touch point, if you will. Yeah. But but it's consistency over time that I think really made that thing work. I mean, at first you hear it and you're off-putting, but then after a while you're like, you come to expect it, and then you want to expect it, and because yeah. it's so strange. Yeah. So. And even with like the Burger King one, right? The the uh, BK Havage, just the production yeah. and the and the the way that it sounds, it's kind of like a you know the vocals kind of like a little throwaway vocal, right? The guy's almost. It sounds like uh it sounds like what's his name? There's a comedian that also plays um music. It kind of sounds like his vibe, right? But you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah. But um all right, well let's let's jump into it because I wanna I'm excited to to uh talk about this. So cool. Ten things to consider when working with a uh composer or a music uh producer. Okay. Number one, define yeah. a budget, which Sounds so like on the nose, but in anything in our business, it's so important, and yet it hardly ever happens. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah. So oftentimes, um, the um, 
there's a value to what we do, especially when we're creating like intellectual property. And I think at the end of the day, if we're doing something custom, a brand wants something to feel ownable. So therein lies the difference between, you know, maybe should we go to one of the big music libraries and license something that might be used on like a diaper commercial for our PSA, which might be a conflict of interest. Um, but that's what you're getting when you're going to those big libraries. Or should we do something a little more custom that that fits our brand? And with that, takes a little bit of research. So truthfully, I think brands these days are so used to working with libraries uh, that... And music is often the last line item when it comes to production that they just don't care. We're treated as a utility. So the budgets um, 10 years ago may have been a little more you know, robust. And now it's like, okay, this is what we have to work with. Can you get the job done? And for the most part, we're going to say, okay, let's figure it out. Let's figure out the best solution for the budget. But without defining the budget, it's going to, it's going to dictate the resources. Like, am I reaching out to artists, which is also a thing that, that I've always tended to do. I've tended to lean on working with, um, like, you know, songwriters and producers rather than commercial composers, because there's a different approach to their method, which, you know, going back to what I said before, maybe it has a little more heart. Maybe that doesn't matter at the end of the day, but it matters to me because, you know, I think the best thing I can tell like a songwriter or a guitar player or an artist of any kind is if you have a voice, you know, if you're finding, if you know who that is, I mean, you could pick out, you know, Jimmy Page or Hendrix, you could pick those guys out. I'm sure no problem. You could tell the difference between a, a Strat and a Les Paul and that, like, it, it, all day you could do that because they have a voice on their instrument. Doesn't have to be perfect. Or, for instance, John Lennon and Kurt Cobain. I mean, there's something so visceral about their approach. Yeah. Anyway, I'm saying that my point is, is that it's nice to have the resources to reach out to specialists in the field if, uh, and to be able to produce them from, a distance, um, or to be hands-on. I think you all, and I'll get back to this point later, you want to have your hands in the clay. But if those resources aren't there, or if I'm the most capable composer for the gig, then I'll figure it out. Plus, I also have a library of my own. I've been doing this for right. many years. It all like comes into play. So how best can you service your client? But yes, defining the budget means everything. It, it will dictate the resources that are available and the timeliness in which you can deliver. Yeah, and I think people are often in our business, in all facets of our business, right? People, clients are hesitant to do that because I don't, I don't know what the thinking is that somehow if they don't tell you, you're going to be able to produce something magical for not a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're, I mean, it's just like they know, you know, what you have to work with. Just tell the person because. Chances are they can be very creative about how to use the funds, right? And and maybe it's not a lot of money, but you can still do something very cool, right? But there's always a hesitation. Well, well, well how much is you know? Well, what's it, you know? What what's it going to cost? It's like, well, what mm-hmm. kind of house do you want to build? I mean, it's you, we gotta we gotta know something. Hold on for a second. Let me d- let my dog out. <sighs> He's driving me crazy. Hold on. No worries. That's my co-host. Mac. I hope that stays in. 
Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Should it? Yeah. It'll, yeah. We'll, we'll keep it in so they can see him. Uh, and then but, probably see that I'm wearing shorts, which is probably not that cool. But, um, <laughs> but, but to that, um, that yeah. point, like it, it also like the, the budget will define like, like you're going to say, is this something ownable or are we going to license, you know, something? Is it all there's, there's wiggle room like everywhere. Right. Because, uh, no, no jobs. I mean, I, this analogy has been thrown around, you know, for years, but you know, every gig's kind of like a snowflake in that regard. And, you know, we we try our best to service our client. And for me, I'm a, such a big picture guy. Like I'm 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 not thinking about the gig at hand so much. I'm thinking about the relationship and just finding ways to make cool shit with the with the best people possible. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So define a budget because that's going to help, and it can be a range, right? Because you know that's that's fine. You can you can give a range. I think I don't want to speak for you, but you need some kind of you know, understanding of what mm-hmm. they can spend or are willing to spend, and then you can come back, right? And you can, oh, yeah. you can figure it out. All right. So next one, get them involved early, share scripts, boards, and a clear brief. Let's talk a little bit about that. Again, like I, I being the last line item is a tough place to be. You know, I've accepted this. I get it. Um, there's so much of the creative that, that uh, process that happens where um, – you know, sometimes you're not um, that, and you're you're not considered an important role in the creative process. But you really should be because music, um, yeah, emotionally connects with your audience faster than any other of um, you know hearing things more than any other sense. It's Absolutely. Quicker. So that's why, like you know, sonic branding I think is super important, or knowing who your audience is and leaning into their nostalgia leaning into their listening habits um so there's things like that that should be considered early and also not unlike working on films um where you're where you receive a script and you can start working on cues right from what's on the paper like i I, i'll go back to one of my favorite like um partnerships was albert Hitchcock and Bernard Herrmann, where he would give Bernard Herrmann a script and Bernard Herrmann would deliver like a finished score, you know, before, you know, anything was shot. And you were like, that was the relationship, which is unheard of today. But um, like, I'm working with a filmmaker presently that, that gives me the creative latitude to say, okay, well, this is the script, this is the scenes, you know, if you could work some cues here, that will help the editor in their process, that will help my process. So, um, I think it's important to get in early. It helps everyone, and we're all kind of working in the clay together. Yeah, and I wonder, I'm thinking, you know, everything is getting, in some ways, things are getting so noisy visually. A lot of cool, a lot of cool stuff is being created, right? And I don't even want to get into AI, but there's, in, in some ways, things are getting so noisy visually that music in some ways is still so so pure in a way and so can cut through that you'd almost think that people who are really savvy might want to start there or at least to mm-hmm. your point be really early right because that can really help cut through i think maybe some of the noise you know and maybe that's why things like uh the burger king thing has been so successful because without that track the visuals wouldn't have been anything, right? So it, it's interesting. I, I, 
wonder what you what you think about that. Do you agree that things just visually are just so like ah, I mean so I, much? I think that there's a, a concept that I've been trying to talk to my kids about who are nine, and it's kind of lost on them. But the ambient yeah. screen concept, where I mean, the concept. I mean, you're really just watching two things at the same time. You're scrolling with one hand, and you've got a remote in your other, and you're and so there is a lot of visual stimulation happening all the time, all at once. And even if you pay attention to the environment with which you're in, I mean, you could be present in the moment and overwhelmed by the stimuli that you can find uninspired otherwise, because it's not your phone, whether it's nature or if it's just, you know, certain room tones and mechanical noises and whatnot. I mean, there's always stimulation um, around us, but how you drive that focus, I think, can help tell the story. And nothing really lives in a vacuum, at least not in, in media. Uh, if it does, it leaves something to be desired. And I think that's the emotional quotient that, that music can provide is that, you know, you might not be thinking about it um, until the end of production, but it is something to be considered. And not unlike reverb, which is like the space in which sound lives, where does your spot live? Where does this campaign live how can we yeah. holistically connect the dots so it feels like it captures the spirit of the brand you know yeah. th there are things that that should absolutely be considered other than like hey uh we got we let's get doja cat and then all of a sudden it's just a fast track to like her audience and you know next thing you know yeah. taco bell is is on the run doesn't matter what they do she's involved yeah you know but and that's, um, I mean, I suppose that that's a strategy unto itself, right? Hundred percent. But yeah, it's not, not a every, wrong strategy. Not every brand, yeah, not, not not every brand can afford, you know, Doja Cat to to do that. Hundred um, percent. So, with supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So, if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Uh, include them in your creative meets. So that's pretty self-explanatory, but I think it's, you know, important you know, to be involved, if nothing else, like a fly on the wall or, you know. I'll say this. I I work, I'm going to give a shout out to a friend of mine, uh, Dave Landa, who has a company called Free Association. They do a lot of user interface, um, like UX, like design. Um, he's a great mind. And we grew up together. And um, we collaborated on a project for Waze, which was like a sonic branding initiative. And this kind of opened a door for me to... It's something that I kind of like co-opted into my own like method when working with other people is just to have these creative sprints like twice a week, often like, mm -hmm. and even if things are imperfect, just by sharing ideas with the whole creative team that includes music, you, um, the best ideas bubble to the surface. And like, I'm of the mind always the best idea wins. It might not be yours. And like, you can, um, you know, as a creative director, sometimes you have to make tough decisions, uh, sure. you know, find that idea in the rough and, and just hone it. But um, yeah, being in the creative meets with people, I think, and having a voice sometimes lets the best idea come through. And yeah, maybe 
it's uh, a solution involving sound design. Maybe it's a solution where you need some kind of branded sonic signature that lets the brand be identified through screenless interfacing and, and um, you know, something I've, I've often go back to is like, you want that Pavlovian response where you hear it and you hear the brand, like no matter where you are, you hear that trigger and you know that it's that brand or, you know, maybe it is just a Doja Cat situation where you're bringing in an artist. Um, how can we clear that license? Are we running something custom with that artist? You know, it's, it, it, I think all things can be considered and it goes back to the first thing we discussed, which was budget, but being in those creative, creative meets, I think is, um, it can be quite essential. Yeah. Unless of course the whole gig is just a utility corporate, you know, industrial film where nothing really is precious. Um, but that's another topic, and yeah, and I don't. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's there's somebody that would say, you know, that would say, no, every, that that you know, that's got to be, that's got to be, you know, every every track has to be perfect too. And I, you know that 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 kind of brings me to um, sort of your your next point, right? Um, which is consider the target audience and their music preference, um, but also, and maybe maybe it's not directly correlated, but thinking. How often are you also thinking about the edit in advance, right? Mm -hmm. So when I've, you know, and I haven't had the luxury of of working with uh, custom music per se. I've had some like customization of existing things maybe, but not like a straight up, we're building it from scratch. But getting ahead and thinking about the edit and like how is how is the music going to be used, right? Because if mm -hmm. you're, if, if this is like a sizzle reel for like a, you know, Red Bull or something, you're probably going to want something very rhythmic and something that the editor can cut a lot to, right? Yeah. Conversely, if it's like, you know, the Montana Tourism Board and it's <laughs> like they have big old scenic, beautiful shots, you probably don't want something that's super pacey or that has a lot of, you know, because they're not going to cut to it, right? So curious how, how you start thinking about that. And I imagine that's just by seeing a script or storyboards that you start to get a sense like, oh, okay, this thing's going to have to be pacey you know or lots yeah. of well i think it's it's great when you can supply music to an editor that they can cut to then you know that things are going to be tight doing yeah. it the other way around which is like more traditional score and even you know going into sound design and foley it's easier with sound design because you know you can play with the nuance of where things go but having things hit musically i think keeps people in the rhythm almost hypnotically to the pace of the spot um yeah. And you can play with those rules. Um, it's fun to like, you know, having breaks and pauses, I think, are, are candy for an editor. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And being able to fine tune those things, like, let's say you need certain rises and drops and whatnot. But as long as it's done musically, I think it keeps you in the moment. And um, I, I don't know, there's a certain zen to it, I guess, in, in the approach. And hopefully with the editor where you can kind of both trust each other and, and find like, you know, find a rhythm. Right. Find the rhythm. Right. Cause I think that's, that's super key. All right. Sorry. I took us a little bit off track there, but um, consider the target audience and their yes. music preferences. How are you? I mean, obviously you kind of have a good understanding, but 
you know, are you going off and like doing the research on who the target audience is and and do, and figuring out their music preferences, or are you often already getting that from the brief, or you know, how do you'd, you typically do that? You'd be surprised. Like you'll be in a creative meet, and they'll they'll they won't even bring that up. They'll bring up a musical reference that's maybe twenty, thirty years old, which is fine, but maybe that's telling of the the era of the creatives that are behind the project. Right. Um, in that they're like, oh, we want it to sound like, and and I'm only saying this, and I, because I, <laughs> would I, if they're That's like, okay. it, it needs to yeah. feel like Matchbox Twenty, and you're like, oh, come on, no. <laughs> You know, but you're not, you know, that's why I think it's important to kind of maybe have a voice in these meetings. But that's true. Like, you'll get, sound like Huba Stank. Yes. Uh, you'll, yeah. you'll get something obscure. <laughs> and maybe that means a lot to the creatives behind it. <laughs> but, but, uh, good call. Huba Stank. I haven't, I, those words haven't but, echoed in my brain in well, decades. Well, first of all, it's just, it's just fun to say Huba Stank. <laughs> Yeah, and not to knock on them, but you know what was so funny is, um, and this might be a conversation for another time. Is they were I don't know if you watched the show Beef. Oh yeah, who, I loved Beef. That was great. Whoever the music supervisor was 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 a genius, but it was so the music was so on the nose to um, to uh, like the like. It was so '90s based, and it, they mm -hmm. went straight down the middle. Because you know, like sometimes these, these things go, try to go for these really cool, obscure tracks. They didn't. They didn't give a shit. They went like straight down Hoobastank. <laughs> it was like you know, but there was a certain genius to it because it, it, it said something about the 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 characters in the sh in the show in a way. Totally, I, I can't even quite explain it. But they had a Hoobastank song on there, and I was like. What the hell? Who mistake? And then I was like, "This is fucking perfect." The song. That's great. That's yeah. amazing. I. Uh, it's so fun doing music supervision, especially when the director trusts you to kind of, you know, find the music that's obscure but actually perfect. I mean, um, yeah. So uh, getting back to sorry, I keep taking this off of me, but, I, but I love this shit. So um, we were saying about the music preferences. Like you'd be surprised, oh, right? And fine. Then you said, yes. There, there are companies Matchbox out there. Like, that yeah. can help you, but I mean, I think doing um, a cultural audit is important, especially when it comes to sonic branding. Like, you really need to do your research and maybe put together some kind of mood board if that's helpful visually for the creatives, just so you can kind of hone in on on what the audience might like. But it's not rocket science to kind of, you know, define your target audience, the region, the economics, the you know, the psychographics as to why they might like certain things and then to reverse engineer music that, you know, that kind of fits that profile. Usually, you know, I mean, just Spotify Hot 100 is probably going to get you where you need to be, but you need to define your audience. I mean, you wouldn't be, you know, I, I don't think leaning on um, orchestral music if you're trying to reach like, you know, you know, teens or, right. you know, so... Um, but you know, there's now, always there's also something to be said about like, you know, nostalgia, right? So to your point, I'm just making this shit up because it, mm -hmm. it's funny to talk about Matchbox Twenty. But if it, it, you know, if somebody's really savvy, it could be no, no, no. You're not, you're not understanding. The reason why we want that is because likely the the 
the person that we're trying to reach, their parents played this song because, you know, they're of mm-hmm. this certain age and we're trying to reach that kid. And that song is really hot, which means that the, pro- the kid probably, I mean, there's probably some like really, you know, nuanced, because I'm sometimes surprised, like, you know, like, why they, why is this commercial have an ELO song? And my son, uh-huh. my, my younger son has like fallen in love with certain, uh, like ELO songs from commercials, right? And it's like, why did they choose that? Like, you know, it's just, it's crazy. Well, I guess three things there. One, maybe the song is on the nose, which is great. Uh, right. Two, um, music in, with, within regards to, um, to picture, you're reaching a captive audience, which is the goal for every recording artist out there, every publisher, every label, every recording artist. Uh, basically, I mean, it's, it's, in the in the era where radio is is not um you know as relevant as it once was um you know you want to try to find ears um for your music but to your point before which i think is great is there is a nostalgia factor and it's something very real because music and sound stimulates the visual cortex so with that it conjures memories it brings something to the uh the forefront called um it's called a reminiscence bump uh mm. but you i think it is a very effective tool for reaching a, an audience is exactly what were their formative years like what were they listening to like when is it appropriate to play you know x um for me you know uh elo for example i mean i i wasn't listening to that when it was on radio but when classic rock for sure i was big into classic rock you know still am um, it, it, it kind of, uh, put me on a path for, you know, the music I wanted to study. There was a right. time where if you didn't listen to Led Zeppelin, we couldn't be friends. Like this right. was my high school years. So yeah. if I were to hear something with Led Zeppelin, uh, I would immediately be brought back to high school, which I think is effective if somebody one can clear the music, but two, if they use it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm already in, I'm in. Yeah, I you're get already it. in. Yeah. yeah. So I, it's um, that magic's not lost on me. But okay. Yeah. Sorry. No. Go ahead. No. You want to finish your thought? No. I'm just kind of babbling here. I'm. I'm. <laughs> I. Uh, no, I mean. It, it, I don't want so, to. I don't want to get too to off topic. Yeah. No. No. It, it no. Totally it's all right. Is. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go off topic. No. No. I'm. I'm just like on the topic. I'm. I'm just agreeing with you. And and uh, I'll shut up now. <laughs> all right. Consider what other brands are doing in the space. What works. And what doesn't? Yeah, this is huge too, and I and I think that a lot of these um, these things on the list are, apply a lot to sonic branding, which um, I think is really important. I mean, every brand out there, for the most part, um, every company has a logo of some kind, a visual logo. Yeah. Um, but having the uh, a, a sonic logo is, I think, even more effective. Because uh, for everything we discussed before, the emotional quotient that that you can tap into and the recall, the brand recall that it can bring up. I mean, you can't really own color, but you can own your, you know, sonic identity. And that uh, is something that, you know, how do you distill the essence of a brand in, you know, maybe three to five seconds? So uh, the question, again, was... um, I'm sorry, can you look, repeat the question? Look at what other brands oh, are yeah. doing in the space, what Ex- works and what doesn't. Exactly. So um, 
that's like a hyper-specific way when you're in the sonic branding space to think about what other brands are doing and why is that effective? How are they yeah. po- possibly telling a story so quickly? But yeah, in a broader sense, like when you're thinking about any brand, like holistically, how are they using music and sound? What works, what doesn't? Like go to any restaurant, go to any hotel. Yeah, hotels. Yeah, and you'll... Like, if you pay attention, you'll see like they're using a system of cross-modal, like, sensory stimulation where everything should be working in harmony together from the lighting to the sound, oftentimes, like, resorts, the smells, which, I mean, they all play a part in stimulating your memory or helping you form new memories, of course, with that experience where everything is overstimulated or just perfectly in tune. Um, one of those things is off, you know, the whole experience is, is, is off. Um, I find this, like my wife thinks I'm so neurotic. She's like, I'm the closest approximation to Larry David that she's ever known. And I think that's fine, but (laughs) you put me in any restaurant and like, if it doesn't smell like a restaurant, when you walk, it doesn't smell like food. I'm already put off. Like you Mm, should feel like you're at a restaurant. If the lighting is fluorescent and or if the music is just not working in concert with everything else, I'm totally put off. Yeah. There's exceptions to the rule. I mean, like, there are certain things that lean into the culture of, uh, and it also should be very considered, like, the culture in which the space lives in um, should be leaned into. But, you know, you don't want to hear, you know, um, like uh, bachata music at an Italian restaurant, sometimes that doesn't really fit. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, what's funny is I was just thinking that when you were talking about that, it brought to mind that my wife and I went, I think it was last year or the year before, to Vegas to meet some friends. And we stayed, you know, at at the Virgin Hotel. And, and it was a good deal, but I was also like, man, it's gonna, it's the Virgin Hotel. It's probably going to be pretty pretty swanky right and, mm-hmm. and 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 in my mind i immediately thought music i immediately thought and we walked in and it was such a letdown because mm-hmm. the vibe wasn't what i expected the the music playing in the lobby was not what i expected the rooms are pretty good but just the whole vibe right you expect like you're gonna be in you know virgin mm-hmm. music land you know kind of thing and it was it was really a little bit of a of a letdown so i agree that that music plays a big part of that whole vibe yeah and well there's your expectation too it's like virgin has a table image that you expect and i think uh as far as film goes for example i'll use a24 like a24 has been outputting like the most fantastic film um i mean just harking back to the independence of the 90s like when when miramax was unbesmirched and it was like putting out great films like pulp fiction etc yeah um you know, like there's a certain trust that A24 now has and, and brands, when they earn that trust, I mean, it's sacred. Like Virgin, I've read Branson's, you know, autobiography and it's fascinating. Like you're, the origin story there, It you, you, you champion the guy from his like humble origins of like, you know, owning one record store in London and like even how he comes up with the name and all that. Um, yeah. So I think that that's the goal that I think every brand, myself included, like, you know, you want your company, going back to what we said earlier, to have a voice, like, you know, and a trusted voice. And if you misuse that trust or abuse that trust, then you're, I think you're almost 
you're put off. You're, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you get a second chance at going to a Virgin Hotel to be after that experience. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Is it helpful to you when 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 they come to you with a you know with some references or or a playlist and saying we're thinking you know somewhere in here is that helpful or do you like to start? No, hundred percent, hundred percent. Sometimes you know it's great when you can be trusted to help make that playlist, but it gives you parameters, and I and I strongly believe that parameters, especially in the creative space, bring out the best in all of us. And that's what's great about production in general in, in the commercial space is that we have a timeline that we're backing into or we have a budget that we're backing into. There's always parameters that are, are helping to define how we can, you know, push the boundaries and, and whatnot. But yes, p playlists are essential. I think uh, any kind of references, whether they're like film references um, or just, you know, certain keywords, buzzwords. Um, but yeah, if you make a Spotify playlist and share it, it definitely puts everything in, in a wheelhouse. I mean, at the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of, you know, why sound works, why this music is right. But there's always going to be someone at, at the end of the chain, or maybe it's the, the uh, a CMO or, or the owner of a company that's going to be like, you know what, I like this. And it's that subjective you know, intangible that's going to that put things over the top. And, uh, and then it, you go back to the other thing. It, then it, at that point, it's just a, an issue of consistency over time. If yeah. something is effective, not as to what the research is, is dictating, which um, I think is super important. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously as a, as a composer and a songwriter and, you know, a producer, I would imagine that, you would love to just do stuff custom all day long, but in your mind, does it always have to be custom or can it be a music, you know, can it be a license? Can it be something you find and then add on to, or, or what is your thought there? Like all of those things I'd say, yes. I mean, I, I'm, they all apply. A budget plays a, a, a factor in certain things, but no, I mean, sometimes a needle drop is the answer and how can we clear this license how can we get you this song for the right price? If we can't afford that song, what are other options that kind of fit our budget? Um, can we, and the same applies with custom. Like, is it a custom? Do you want something that feels ownable to your brand or can we, um, I mean, I, I really wouldn't go to a big library in my case because I have such a deep catalog, but I would reach right. out to people f that I trust producers, songwriters to, to give my client the, a curated search that, that fits, you know, the brief. Um, so I, I guess it, it's, again, it's, you have to, every gig is like a snowflake. Yeah. Do I want my hands in the clay making something custom? Always. Um, but that might mean that I'm just doing a musical edit. Maybe I'm trying to re, uh, you know, craft an ending for something that doesn't have one. Yeah. Um, maybe that means I'm, I'm, playing with the mix in certain ways, maybe this particular, yeah. um, you know, track that they're licensing needs to be mixed, you know, in um, Atmos, or it needs to be, you know, there, and, and I know you didn't want to touch on AI, but I've been finding more often in projects I'm working on now, that it's been a very useful tool in uh, and specifically in finding in, in building stems for things that, that never, that from master recordings that never had stems before. So f really, yeah. Oh, how do you how do you how do you do that? There's software out there that can 
can help Ooh, you. You gotta give me. You gotta give me that information. Yeah, that, that is cool. Like I, I love that that uh, that use of the technology. And I was just talking about this idea with um, with uh, Margaret Johnson from from Goodby Silverstein Partners about how we're looking at the AI technology sometimes in the wrong way, where it's mm-hmm. about like, oh, it's pr- it's going to produce everything and it's going to take my job, as opposed to it's a tool that's going to help co- make my idea to come to life. And my my idea is. You know, I'm just making shit up, but it's like I'm gonna strip everything down to John Bonham's uh, drum beat on when the mm-hmm. levee breaks, and then I'm gonna build something on top of it. And that that wasn't possible in, until AI came into the picture and can help you do that kind of stuff, right? So it's more like the tool that's helping me bring the crazy idea in my in my head to life. Yeah, like presently, I'm working on a couple of projects right now that require stems from master recordings from from known artists that's and. Rad. We're proving the concept right now, and this AI software is helping rather than like, hey, let's talk to the label, let's let's get access to master tapes, let's. Uh, and this would involve, you know, you know, th- that is a huge undertaking, like yeah. getting access to to master tapes and yeah. trying to. Yeah, I always stem wondered how out. those people do it on YouTube, right? So they're probably some of them maybe do have access, but maybe some of them are using using some of this technology. You know what? I'm just. This is off topic, but there's a fascinating documentary with Rick Rubin and Paul McCartney on Hulu. Oh yeah, Have yeah. You seen that? I saw oh. that. Yeah, so good. Oh man, I love it. I could watch that kind of shit for 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 days and days. Just I uh. love that when you isolate stuff. What do you think about? I just uh, um, I just heard this on another podcast. It was actually Rick Rubin, the the Broken Record, and they were talking to Robbie Robertson from the band who just passed away. Mm-hmm. Um. But he was a big music supervisor. I mean, he's done music supervisor and composer for a bunch of Martin Scorsese films. Mm-hmm. And Rick Rubin asked him about a particular thing that he heard on some movie. I can't remember, Scorsese movie. And what it, what he explained was that he, you know, and this, I guess he was a little bit of a he- ahead of his time. He did basically a mashup of this this modern classical composer. I think the guy's name was Mac, Max Richter or something like that. Yeah. And an old track from Dinah Washington called Bitter Earth or something. Mm-hmm. And he mashed them together and said, I don't know if this is going to work or we can even get it licensed or if the artists are going to approve. And everybody loved it. And it's kind of this really like ethereal kind of music. And then with her vocals on top of it, he spliced it up and it just became this really haunting, I love haunting that. piece. I love it. I mean, look, if you pay attention, we're living in a mashup at all times, right? Absolutely, yeah. And going back to the ambient screen that we were talking about earlier, I mean, things are concurrently working together or against each other, and there's something beautiful about all of it. So if you're trying to be hyper-realistic in any situation, it's okay for that bleed to come into picture and 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 play a part. Um, I think that's always super fun when... When um, I've done some explorations where you have to take like master recordings and classical things and throw break beats on them and <clears throat> excuse yeah. me and and just kind of reinvent it for a particular audience. Um, it's all fun. I think that's the beauty about about art. And I'm and although like I I find that 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 the creative process can be, you know. I don't want to be too precious because again we're talking about helping brands tell stories. But I, going right. back to like I, 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 I there's a, a certain respect that I, I have for the the process, the creative process, and and 
uh, I don't think that there's any wrong way to do anything. Like there's preferred ways to get to the end result, but um, like the Burger King spot you you were bring, talking about. I mean, it is yeah. imperfect in the best ways. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that, that that's that's so true, and I and I, I totally agree with you. Right, I I'm, I always have this thing about like when people talk about you know I want something that's never been done before, and it's like well. I hate to tell you this, that doesn't exist. And if if it does exist, nobody's going to understand it, and it's mm-hmm. not going to work. What what does work is these mashups that are fresh and new, mm-hmm. and that's really what 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 it is, right? That's really that's why. By the way, probably the in the in recent in recent memory, the most used track for for um, you know um, pop music. Genius of Love. I mean, how many times is this mm. song going to get used, right? It's in so many songs. And I love that song, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it's getting used so much, and, and it's crazy. And it's a mashup. You're make- I mean, people are making fresh things from it over and over and over and over. So that's, that's what I love. And that, that's really, I think, what it's about. It's about mashing things up. Yeah. And I- I'll piggyback off that for a second, and I'll, and I'll say that it's not about being perfect in, in this art. And I, I feel like production in in what we do there's there's an art to it for sure uh it's just finding truth and and if you can be honest in your approach and it doesn't have to be perfect because i think when you're perfectly quantized and everything is perfectly calibrated yeah all the soul just evaporates from from everything like it's the it's it's there's something special about about uh, like um, the watch in Ben Hur, or something of that nature, where it's it, it's it's um, or the car driving by in Lord of the Rings, or or uh, the 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 squeak in John Bonham's kick pedal that you can yeah. like just overtly hear, especially in Since I've Been Loving You. Just to go back to right. Led Zeppelin real quick. Oh man, that's one of my favorite songs. Oh, me too. Uh, oh, so good. You're killing but, like, me. There's, but I think it's because maybe it's like a it it it. it, it Maybe what it is is that in a certain way it proves to the listener that the that the person on the other end was a human, right, and not not a, like there's something like even the the squeak, right? It, there's something about it. it's like wow, he was playing that, he was playing his kick drum and it squeaked and like you know what I mean? Like there's some yeah. kind of weird connection to them in in a way because it wasn't totally perfect. Yeah, I feel like we're just such imperfect creatures that we. It, it resonates with us like that it, it's almost a, it makes it some the art more approachable like i was recently at the picasso museum in antibes which and it was like featured a lot of his work from the later years and it looked there was so much energy jumping off of the canvas and you could see that nothing was was uh, too over thought it was it it was like a moment in time that was captured and that energy still resonates on the canvas. And I was so struck by that because you could, you could see the, like the thickness of the paint and the yeah. brush strokes and, and it wasn't, it wasn't meticulous. It was like urgent. Yeah. Everything was right. so urgent and it was jumping right at you. And I loved it. And, um, that's what resonates for me is, is that kind of truth. It's like the yeah. moment, the moment of truth and uh is is just being honest in time if, if yeah. i'm not being you know i love i love that i'm going to combine these this, these last two cuz they kind of they kind of work together but it's give composers a chance to fail 
And remember that you're hiring experts, right? You need to trust the process, and failure is part of the process, right? So mm-hmm. what do you what do you want to, you know, tell people about about this particular thing about being able to fail a little bit? Yeah, that I think is a a really important part of the process. Um, we live in an age now where it's become commonplace for um, agencies to triple bid creatives, like at the the music. Yep. Um, which I find, really, yeah. Yeah, I, I find that it's kind of unnecessary to do that. We're all, especially when it comes to freelancers, because for the most part, there's a pool of, it's a small world, you know, all these music shops, like maybe they have a couple of in-house writers. They're all reaching out to the same freelancers and giving them the yeah. same thing. So it's, it's, that's the, that's a truth about this business. Um, how you help, you know, get those writers to tell a certain story with music. Maybe that's, there's some nuance there. Um, but, and I have to credit my, uh, my friend, um, Mike Boris for, for the, for the exact words there, like, um, on, on failure, but it's true. Um, cause we talk about this at length when we collaborate, um, is that when your client trusts you to present things that don't work, um, I think it moves the ball forward. As long as that's happening, you're not really failing. Even if you're missing no. the mark, sometimes we're, you know, we're kind of all chipping away at the marble before we find David together. And, yeah. and it's okay to hear things that you don't like. It doesn't mean you have to pivot from your, this music company and say, okay, we're just going to go yeah, with this music yeah, library, exactly. which happens all the time. I mean, it, it happens like as far as the edit, you could be in the edit and they could just say, you know what? Our editor found this piece of music that works perfect. And you've been grinding on a project for two months, you know, yeah. it's um, such as the nature of the beast. But Um, if you have the trust of the creatives that you're working with to present things that work, that don't work, to fine tune things, to get them in a good place, I feel like that is a real healthy relationship. Like when you're a creative director, for example, and your, um, your copywriters are, and your creative teams are presenting you with ideas and, and not all of them are going to be hitting the mark. But that's okay. I mean, it's all part of the conversation. It's all part of the of the process. And it serves a and it serves a purpose, right? Yeah. Any failure serves a purpose because it tells you, you know, as somebody on the show previously said, it like shows you where the electrified fence is, right? It's like mm-hmm. ah, that was too far. And totally. that, that in itself informs you. So it's not a failure. It's it's informing. It's just tightening your your focus. So, um, you know, it's like, hey, what about this? Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe this element of it, but no, that's yeah. too much. That's too far this way. That's too far. It, it's all helpful. So, yeah, hundred um, yeah. percent. And I think that goes to my point of like just trusting the process. Like part of the process is knowing what doesn't work, and and you know, and if you're working with experts, if you're bringing on the best people for the job, trust them that they know how to you know execute, and yeah. and we can, and then let the best idea win. Yeah. Even if that's subjective, <laughs> right, right. It's all it's all sub- subjective at the end of the day. Oh man, well, this has been a great conversation. I feel, and and I mean this as a compliment. I feel kind of like I'm drunk. 
I feel like we're just like we're just like in this zone, and we're just like talking music and sharing all these ideas, and uh, and it's only you know ten o'clock, and I already feel like I'm a little like I've had a couple of tequila sodas, so that's that's a good thing, my friend. Yeah. Uh, what awesome. what else? I mean, if you if you had to impart one piece of advice for anybody working in the creative field, um, you know something something that has guided your career is that that has helped you. What what do you think it would be? Well, and sorry, I didn't prep you for that one. I just no, no, no. I I, I kind of have this quote locked and loaded, like at all times, because it's one of um, a dear friend of mine. He's a director. Todd Heyman uh, was on one of my uh, podcasts, Secret Mentor. This is a, a and he in one of our questions that we prime uh, our our um, well, actually we don't we kind of just it's it's part of our. Um, our script, yeah, kind of this, yeah, the setup, yeah, yeah. Um, he left us with a quote once that just really struck me because it it was um, you can't control the opportunities that come your way, but you can control getting good. And I love that because this business of ours is so ever changing and nebulous, changing of the guard. There's changing of 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 the you know the what's um acceptable as far as like yeah. culturally etc yeah. um but the one thing that i can do is i can control getting good that's why i've never stopped making records and producing records and songwriting and and just honing that craft because it all translates into whether i'm doing custom music or the attention to podcasting or mixed media or sound design or you know any kind of aspect of production like you have to always work on your craft like never stop learning so i loved that quote and uh i know it's i don't know if i've co-opted it but i've always just uh i'll give him credit thanks Todd. yeah that's cool yeah, yeah. hey giving credit is good well uh, again thank you for being on the show and thank you for for sharing all this uh wisdom like i said i'm, I'm just like uh, riding a little high here so thank you for for indulging me and talking about music and led zeppelin and burger king and you know subway and you know all this all this fun stuff i could do it uh i could do it all day i appreciate you being on the show and i look thank forward you. to keeping in touch you know on a personal level we, we seem to have a lot in common 100%. we need to uh, maybe make some music at some point together and uh yeah i'd look forward to that yeah and like maybe really get drunk off of uh, you know while, while sharing ideas I love it. I love yeah. it. Next time I'm out there or next time you're here, man, hit me up. I would I would love to uh just play some uh, music with you and drink some some tequila or whatever you want to whatever you yeah. want to do. Yeah. No, it sounds great. I like again, like I always feel like I can talk to you for hours and I uh I hope that your listeners are getting some takeaways from this and I wasn't babbling you know too much. I, I you know what? <laughs> I, <laughs> it's gonna sound terrible, but I, you know, I'm like, I don't care. I had this. This was, this was like an, a, my conversation. This is what I wanted to talk about, and, and so I know they will. I know they're gonna get a lot out of it. So, uh, all right, man, Donnie, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, buddy. Thank you, Jaime. And that's gonna do it for another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director. Thanks to my very special guest, Donnie Dykowski. Wow, I'm still buzzing from that episode. So much fun to talk to a fellow music geek music lover uh it was really amazing so hopefully you guys stuck around with us for all those fun detours that we took definitely a very special episode so thank you donnie for sharing all that great information if you haven't picked it up speaking of great information if you haven't picked it up 
pick up my book, What's the Big Idea? An Indispensable Guide to Becoming a Kick-Ass Creative Director. It's almost that time. If you're looking to uh, make a move up to creative director, if you're thinking about it, if you're thinking about thinking about it, this is the book that you need. It's going to tell you everything you need to do to prepare for the role. If you're already in the role and going, what the hell did I get myself into? This book can be a lifesaver. So check it out. It's available on Amazon or on Audible. Uh, and if you're a creative director in need of a little bit of creative director therapy, check out my website, HaimeCabreraCreative.com. Set up a 20-minute consultation call. See if maybe I can help you with a little uh, creative director coaching. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Until next time, peace, love, and creativity. See ya. I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but could you make the logo bigger? Bigger, bigger, make it bigger.